Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, the host and producer of Confabulation, Montreal's original monthly all-true storytelling series. Every week on Confabulation, the podcast, we highlight one of the stories from one of our live shows, sit down with the storyteller and get to talk about their experience, their story, and just generally get to know them a bit better. This week on the show, we have a story from Michelle Lukes. Michelle is an educational facilitator in Quebec and a regular at Confabulation. This is her seventh Confabulation story that we'll be playing today, which she shared at May 2015's Confabulation Presents Montreal Stories. The show was a particular favorite of mine. We were celebrating our fifth birthday, and Michelle told this story of the city and uh, a pretty significant event, uh, one worth celebrating of her own. Uh, so here is Michelle Lukes. So it was a cold and blustery day 21 years ago, and I was miserable. You know that feeling when you're lying on the bed because you've gained a few pounds and you have to lie on the bed to button up your pants? Well, I could no longer button the very last pair of overalls over my large stomach. I was 41 weeks and six days pregnant. I hadn't slept forever because I could feel every slat sticking into my massive body through our futon. And I just received the call that 41 weeks and six days pregnant women dread. I'd finished my timeline, and the next day, I had to go to the hospital hospital at 8 a.m. to be induced. And they'd set up an appointment for a cesarean section in the afternoon, just in case. I had one thing on my mind. I am having this baby today. First stop, Warshaw's. I went up to buy some chopped up pineapple. A woman at my daughter's daycare said that she'd eaten half a pineapple and gone into spontaneous labor. (laughs) And I, I walked up to the cashier and she said, whoa, you're really big. But that pineapple is not gonna work. What worked for me was a double espresso. For both of my sons, I drank a double espresso and went into labor. Go see my brother-in-law, Silvio, at the Cafe Portugal. He'll pick you up. (laughs) So I lumbered over to the Cafe Portugal, and I walked in, and all of those little old men who play checkers froze, (laughs) as if they'd never seen an overdue woman at the Cafe Portugal about to have a double espresso. (laughs) And Silvio poured me a tall one, and I hadn't had any caffeine for nine months. So... In five seconds, I felt that familiar rush going through my body, and my stomach was moving like if I had an alien inside. (laughs) But no contractions. Sylvia told me, caffeine doesn't work. What worked for my wife was hot peppers. She ate a bottle of hot peppers, and two hours later, I had to carry her into the hospital because she almost had a baby in the car. So I headed back to Saint Laurent, and I was walking down the street past Schwartz's, and I suddenly had an overwhelming desire for a bloody smoked meat sandwich, (laughs) which is a little odd because I've been a vegetarian for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) But I have friends who'd been pregnant, and they all had strange cravings. I have a friend who's a teacher, and she craved chalk. So I walked in. I ordered a large smoked meat sandwich with hot peppers on top, and I took a bite, and it tasted really 
really delicious. And the woman sitting next to me said, what do you do? And I told her, two weeks ago. <laughs> and she said, oh, cesarean. My sister had a cesarean with her first one. Second one, she walked up and down the stairs until her water broke. <laughs> I could do that, I thought. <laughs> if I didn't live in a first floor apartment. So, but I was right near the mountain. And there are stairs on the mountain. So I picked up my sandwich and I headed up the mountain. And those 242 steps up to the lookout were pure hell. But I would have done them again on my knees if I knew that it would start my labor. And by the time I got to the top and looking out over the city under that silver gray November sky, I prayed to every higher power I could think of, please make these freaking contractions start. But after an hour, nothing. I sat down on a bench and I pulled out my soggy smoked meat sandwich and I took a bite and really started to reason with myself. Having a cesarean is not such a bad thing. There are lots of people who have cesareans. The most important thing, I thought, taking a few more bites, is to have a healthy child. Then I started to feel something a little strange. The only thing I can really compare it to is kind of a combination of a prolonged hiccup and heartburn. <laughs> then six or seven minutes later, there was another one. Is this Schwartz's? <laughs> or is this it? I walked down the hill as quickly as I could get home, and I called my midwife, Jean, who's a friend from Charlevoix, who was accompanying me to the hospital, and I, she had to come, because the first time, she was the only thing that saved me from having a cesarean section. And she said, okay, your first labor lasted 36 hours, which is really, really long, ladies, if you haven't had a baby. We're going to divide that in half. We'll shave off a few hours. I'll have plenty of time to drive down from Charlevoix and get you to the hospital. <laughs> Midwife on her way, check. Burst of energy. I scrubbed the house because the in-laws were coming to pick up my toddler, check. Doorbell rang, toddler gone. Everything was under control. At 10 p.m., things looked a little different. I had spent two hours in the bath, and I was puckered and crabby because we no longer had any hot water, and my husband was running back and forth between the bathroom and the front window and the bathroom and the front window because Jean, my midwife, had not arrived yet. At 11 p.m., I was on my hands and feet in the living room, covered only with a blanket, and I was screaming and mewling, and my husband started to panic, and he said, all right, that's enough. We're going to the hospital now. And a voice came out of me that I, I've rarely heard. I've occasionally come out with my daughters, but it sounded a bit like I was in a horror film, and I said to him, we're not leaving. <laughs> Not until Jean arrives. <laughs> and I went into another contraction. And then the doorbell rang. And my husband went to the door, but it wasn't Jean. It was his prospector friend, Danielle, who was coming down from the wilderness after spending six months alone. 
and he wanted to drink beer and shoot the breeze and sleep on our couch. And I said, tell him to go home. Tell him to go away. He always shows up at the worst time. And now I'm in labor. My husband was a bit of a chicken around Danielle, and he came back and said, uh, well, I told him just to go into the front office and keep the door closed and that he couldn't come out no matter what he heard. <laughs> By the time Jean rang the doorbell at 1 a.m., I was having contractions every one and a half minutes. I had lost complete confidence. I was walking down the hill, hall dragging the blanket behind me. And Jean came and said, let's see how far along you are. And said cheerily, oh, it's time to go to the hospital right away. <laughs> I'm not moving, I said. And my husband and Jean tried to cajole me a little bit like a four-year-old. Yeah, it's time to put your clothes on. It's time to go to the hospital. <laughs> but it was minus 10 outside. It was freezing. He, they wanted me to get into a frozen car drive all the way to 40 minutes to the hospital in LaSalle while I was in full labor? Were they kidding? I am having this baby right here. <laughs> I guess I was pretty convincing because Jean and my husband looked at each other. They looked at me as I went into another contraction. They looked at each other again, and then they got to work. Now this home birth I've heard of lots of home births, and they're usually extremely organized affairs where there's a table, and they carefully cover it with a white cloth, and all of the instruments are laid out nicely, a few diapers and snacks for the midwife. <laughs> this home birth looked a little different. As I was screaming and banging the walls, my husband and Jean were boiling water and sterilizing blankets and sheets in the, in the oven and sharpening knives and trying to find scissors. And Jean went out to bring in a, a, an oxygen canister just in case. And one hour later, my daughter Camille was born. <laughs> and it was really surreal because I had this feeling the day before that I was on my way for a cesarean. And here we were at three in the morning, sitting on our bed, Danielle, our prospector friend. <laughs> Jean, the midwife, my husband and myself. We were having a picnic of chocolate chip cookies and tea and thanks to Danielle, some beer. <laughs> and looking out over our sleeping baby and she was beautiful. She had hair the color of a double espresso. <laughs> a squished nose just like the guy at the Café Portugal, a, an expression as sour as sour pineapple, and she was pink all over, just like my Schwartz's smoked meat sandwich. <laughs> I've heard that it takes a village to raise a child, but in this case, it took a city to give birth to one. Thank you, Montreal. And we are back in the studio uh, with Michelle Lukes. Hi, Michelle. Hello. So nice of you to come in. Uh, I want to start right away. It's funny, while we were listening to the story, um, I realized that my last, I guess, two years with the stories have all been about my daughter. Uh, I would say 
a good half to two thirds of your stories about your kids. That's why we do it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult, but those are the first stories that come to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do your because your daughters can express an opinion? They're a little older than mine. Right. Uh, how do they feel about you sharing their birth, <laughs> their other experiences? Well, my daughter did come to hear the story. Can oh yeah, Ken was uh, there. Yeah. Although, uh, when I mentioned that I might call her out or point her out at least, she said, I will never come to another confabulation if you do that. So she wanted to remain anonymous, but it, uh, but fair enough. I was happy to hear the story. Well, I'm sort of curious because I love the, the ending of the story. Let's start at the end. Uh, the way that the story and the way that the city has shaped this first encounter with your daughter, um, is that something that's held up? Do you find that there is something essentially Montreal about Cammie? I would say there, I would say yes. Okay. I, I think my first daughter is probably a, a, a girl of the world. I'm, okay. I'm not really sure if she'll stay in Montreal, but Cammie is a Montreal, Montreal girl. Fair enough. She, um, she was... At the student strikes uh, nice. a few years ago, like fighting for uh, for oh my gosh, that was pretty awful. It's uh, <laughs> it's okay. For, we'll cut that out. Sure, <laughs> they can all hear you though. Oh, that's we okay. are in the maison sociale yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, no, but she she is a, a girl of Montreal. She loves the city. I think she's planning to make Montreal her home. Um, she spends her weekends here because she lives in Sherbrooke now, riding her bicycle around the city and, uh, and, and feels like um, this is her place in the world. Right on. How was your, your, first exp- your first daughter's birth experience completely different? Quite long. I yeah. had a, a labor that lasted almost 40 hours. And um, really, it was because of Jean, my midwife, that um, I didn't end up having a cesarean with her. Hmm. But she was born in a, a hospital with a midwife in Charlevoix, uh, so a tiny little, like five hours from, from Montreal, hmm. and was the only baby in the hospital. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was quite different from, uh, from this birth. Um, Cami, when I called the doctor the next day and told him that I wouldn't need the appointment and uh, that I had a lovely baby girl who weighed eight and a half pounds, um, realized that was a perfect way to, to hear back from a doctor quickly. I had a, a call back from him two minutes later and um, he was completely surprised. But, um, so I brought a baby into the hospital instead of, of bringing a baby home. <laughs> so. I love it. Was this ever something you'd considered the home birth it was definitely um it was actually now now there are a maison de naissance mm. in in quebec so i think a lot of people have babies with midwives but um it was a time period where it was i can't say it was illegal like there were definitely midwives <laughs> working in the quebec area but it was unusual to to have a home birth and um i think it definitely made my husband nervous like that the thought of doing that so um i can't say that we considered it in either of these cases hmm. um I definitely had friends who'd had them, mm. and they were um, very lovely, calm, nurturing experiences. And this home birth was a little bit different. A little bit less organized. A little less a little organized. Bit less planned. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I, I am a little disappointed that this wasn't some secret criminal birth. That would have been a great story, too. Oh, that too, would have been a fantastic uh... story. Yeah. <laughs> we did have a prospector who arrived 
in a, the middle of the, our labor. So that, yeah, that definitely that's, made it that's exciting. unique. Let's talk about that. You've mentioned to me in the past that he's just a figure who appears in the middle of stories. I'm guessing this ranks pretty highly in terms of his awkward appearances in your life. I would say so. Uh, <laughs> yes, this was probably the most awkward. But he he arrived over the years. Always, uh, he often arrived in the. Um, middle of the the night uh at a in the middle of a um a fight in the middle right. of a, a dinner party and it was uh, generally great to see him except for <laughs> for this night but maybe you know maybe his presence is like a good luck charm maybe that's what got you through <laughs> that's very possible uh why don't we talk a little bit about uh about storytelling um what to you makes for a really great story Either one that you tell or one that you hear. I would say that what's made that some of the stories that I've liked the most um, feel like they're being told off the cuff, hmm. but have a, at the same time have a, an interesting. Um, Okay, I'm going to try that one again, too. Sorry, keep, this is Just like, keep rolling. Yeah. Um, I would say the, the ones that I've liked the most feel spontaneous, but also, um, but you know that they've been put together with care because um, they play with language, there, there is a bit of repetition, mm. um, they'll have, uh, you, you'll, they'll go back to something at the beginning towards the end of the story. Um, and you feel that the storyteller has a real connection with mm. um, with the subject. We talked last week with um, with Raven, our co-producer in the show, and um, talked a little bit about literary tradition and if storytelling is a literary act. I mean, we think of stories as being literature, but like you mentioned, storytelling feeling off the cuff, feeling spontaneous and natural. What kind of art form is it that we're doing here? Well, it's certainly an old one. <laughs> That's true. It's uh, probably the oldest one. Um, but boy, I I think that it's it's really something that has that allows people to connect um, because so many of the stories that are being shared are about subjects that um, we've all lived through. I mean, in this case, it was about giving birth. Um, mm. But uh, there are often stories about um, dealing with with parents or funny family situations, uh, insecurities, um, or problems that people have overcome. And I think that's why the audience likes them so much and continues to come mm. back. It they really allow people to connect with with uh, something that feels real, mm. um, that people have gotten over in lots of, of uh, interesting and comical ways often, um, and really makes people perhaps reflect on areas of their own lives. And what do you, what do you get out of it as a storyteller? For sure, um, it helps me put parts of my life in perspective and... I um, I really look at both the act of parenting and the act of being a child as um, a series of comical events, <laughs> which um, absolutely tickle me as I start to think about them. But um, I would say that as you write stories, you also remember. Um, mm -hmm. For me, before I share a story, I, I still have to write it down and 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 to to really find the the sense of it, and then go through a period where I turn it back into an oral project um, or an oral piece, 
um, which means that it's, it changes quite dramatically from the, that story that was written down on the page to, to something I share. But um, it's quite... What's nice is that the more I work on it, the more I remember. Hmm. And um, I think that's why it's such a, an important thing for everybody to have a chance to do. Um, I have uh, been working for the past five years on a project called Mapping Memories, where <clears throat> we worked on uh, with, re- with uh, youth with refugee experience mm-hmm. on sharing stories that were important to them. And uh, they then they had a chance to talk about them, to write them, to, to perform them, and record them, and add photos to them. And that experience of shaping stories that were important to their lives um, was so helpful to them in terms of making sense of difficult experiences of arriving in Montreal, of dealing with um, difficult events in their, their own countries. Um, but the most important thing is that they were telling their own stories. Hmm. I'd seen a short documentary, or maybe it was a, a promotional piece that you guys put together. Uh, where can people read more about the Mapping Memories Project? Because it's a fascinating project. I think it's really worth checking out. We have a website, mappingmemories.com, where um, viewers can see many of the stories that were created through the project, as well as uh, information for, for teachers and other people who are, are interested in creating their, their own stories. That's so fantastic. Um, I have only a couple more quick questions. Uh, is there a storyteller or a story at Confabulation that you'd love to see highlighted on this podcast? I'm looking for a booking for next week, basically. But who would you love to see us get I in the studio? I would love to see Nisha Coleman. Nisha Coleman is so hard to track down. She's I in know. Banff. My She's gosh, writing all over the world. You have to get her onto the show. I know, I know. Uh, if you've been to a live event, you've probably seen Nisha. She's awesome. Huge fan. Okay, I promise we'll get there. We'll get her on at one point. Your story is all about people giving you advice. Do you find now that people's advice really paid off, you find yourself giving uh, new parents advice that you have to pay it forward, despite knowing how frustrating that can be? I try to hold my tongue, (laughs) but I'm not often able to do it. So, yeah, I give advice on just about everything until I see people's eyes sort of glaze over and really try to stop, stop myself. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Confabulation, the live show, will return June 6th as part of the St. Amboise Montreal Fringe Festival with Confabulation Presents Fish Out of Water, stories of being in the wrong place, being at the wrong time, or just generally being out of step. If you want to tell a story, you can submit a pitch for a true story that happened to you on our website, confabulationmontreal.com or .ca. There you'll find also all of the upcoming themes for the year. Our Twitter handle is confabmtl, and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash confab. Be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes or whatever magical Android, Windows Phone, BlackBerry software you happen to use. Yeah, BlackBerry is still a thing. I'm adamant phones need keyboards. I use one. I'm the last guy. We're produced by Paula Flalo and hosted on the No More Radio Network. Check out all our podcasts at nomoradio.com. Support for NMR comes from the Montreal Improv Theatre. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. I mean, we'll, we'll see you if you add us on Facebook or send me a message with a photo or something, because it's radio. We don't, we don't actually see you, you know? <laughs> <laughs>